All right, Allison, as you know, I've been at home now for many weeks and, you know, I get a lot of ideas now being home. It's like I just have all this time on my hands, like not really, but let's pretend that's true. And, you know, I have a new business idea. I just really would love to float this to you. Would love your support as an angel investor. Um, are you open to it? Let's let's hear it first. <sighs> that feels tough, but okay. Um, you know, I know that we're coming up on the anniversary of suffrage, pause for dramatic effect. I also know that we're all living our lives in sweatpants these days in athleisure. Okay. So I'm, I, my proposal is I would love to bring a product on the market that's going to bring those two worlds together. So it's going to raise people's awareness and, you know, make everyone feel safe because who doesn't love a sweatpant? So this line is, is a sweatpant line, an athleisure line that's, you know, suffrage themed, and there would be like Elizabeth Cady sweatpants. You know, I, like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? You haven't even, you didn't even hear the rest of it. Why are you saying no? I was kind of waiting for the right time to tell you, but I'm actually starting my own company of all women gemologists called Lucy Stoners. I just, <sighs> what? I, like, I didn't, I didn't have the right time to tell you like, you know, we're going to be sort of like exposing the blood diamond industry and making properly sourced minerals in the spirit of Lucy Stone. I just like, I didn't have the right moment. Listen, no one in this world is going to buy your product when they could have Elizabeth Cady sweatpants. True. <laughs> like actually true. <laughs> Welcome to American Girls, everyone. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And on this episode, we're so, so, so excited to be joined by a Twitter celebrity, a public historian extraordinaire, Lacey Wilson. I want to say now also a friend. Yeah, I think we are friends now. Like, I'm saying that. I'm saying that out loud. I'm manifesting that. It's real. So anyway, we had a lovely conversation with Lacey that we're so happy to bring to you on this episode. We cover a lot of ground talking about public history interpretation, growing up with the books, reading the books at different times in your life, all kinds of things. Lacey even imagines her version of Addie in the future or a different time if she had it her way. Uh, so this was such a fun conversation. We're so excited to bring it to you and let's get right to it. So we're so excited to be here today with Lacey Wilson, who is a public historian that we were so pleased to meet a few years ago at the National Council for Public History. She has been working in the Savannah, Georgia area and is a very distinguished public historian who is cited in the New York Times, which you can Oof. feel free to, to brag a little bit about. And we're going to talk to her today about her Addie journey. Um, she may regret this now, but she emailed us more than two years ago about a paper she wrote about Addie. And being historians that we are, I flagged the email years ago and it <laughs> stayed in my inbox. So um, we're really excited to talk to you today. A little bit about you, a little bit about Addie, and then kind of how your, your lives have come together. I'm excited to be here. I did not remember that it was two years ago until <laughs> like looking at email before and saw that it was two years ago. That makes complete sense. Um, 
I am a little bit embarrassed about that paper now, <laughs> but since uh, like since you guys haven't seen it, no. it's really just me. So you could describe that paper any way you want. I mean, that could be the greatest paper ever written <laughs> for all we know. Was the greatest paper ever written about Addie for my <laughs> African American Food Studies course at UMBC. We can top of the line for that class today. Wow. Well, maybe we can back up a little bit. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about <laughs> where you're from and maybe when you encountered American Girl and Addie for the first time? Yeah, yeah, we should, yeah, beginning makes a lot more sense. Um, I am from the DC, the DMV area, born in DC, raised in Maryland, really more Maryland than DC, but in the Montgomery County area, it's close enough that a lot of us often say DC, and then if no one questions <laughs> it, we just are from um, I am not 100% sure when I initially encountered American Girls, I am under the impression that my mother, who um, who is, is like me, black, was actively searching for books for her daughter, who clearly loved to read a ton that had a black girl on it. Um, like I got a couple of those like little diaries, Dear America diaries as well. Um, but Addie, I remember having not the full five um, five or six books initially. But I had like two or three of them uh, for a while. And then I also vividly remember like going through that catalog every time it arrived at my house, um, which I always find thinking back very interesting because I was never into dolls as a little girl, mm. um, never into it. But I would pour over that catalog <laughs> like it was like some kind of holy Bible or something because I just found it so fascinating. Um, I remember reading Addie a lot as a kid. And I think at that point I'd already realized that I liked history, but I just didn't know what to do with that like a lot of us did. Um, but Addie, I always found very interesting in terms of just like the seriousness of the book's material uh, and like the vividness of all of that, which is even more like compounded, like rereading it now. Mm -hmm. So I would say like there were like, including more recently, there were like three main times that I read it in completion as a kid, just like, oh, this is an interesting book. I'm enjoying reading this book of this little girl and um, and these adventures in Philadelphia and stuff. And then I read it again as an undergraduate when I was like working on that paper that is the greatest of that particular class. <laughs> um, and then I read it again last week and like two or three weeks before um while i we were all in this weird moment of social distancing and each time it's just they i think they're all probably about 10-ish years apart so it's really interesting to look back and realize things that i picked out of that at all so like it was like books that i'm very certain my mom got me because there's a black girl on the cover and her daughter liked history and she wanted her daughter to understand and like history especially be represented which I think having talked to a couple of black pub historians and black public historians around my age, this was kind of crucial. This was a book that a lot of us picked up initially or found ourselves. Like, I think I, 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 it's just, it just seems very crucial is the only word that I can think of right now. And have you talked with your mom and your sense about kind of that drive to provide you with Addie and her stories at the time and I pretty sure about it like when I was writing that paper just for like my own curiosity because I truly don't remember purchasing I was a kid I didn't purchase anything <laughs> purchasing those books um 
picking them out of the library. I think I just sort of acquired them at some point. I think I, I'm person. I personally think that she picked them out, and I think she picked them out for that reason. Mm-hmm. And um, when I asked her about it, she confirmed that. And but that that also um, she had said that for sure. But it was also just noticing the books that my mom got for me as a kid. Like it was very clear that it was a lot of books with black women on the covers, with black women as protagonists. Um, it was like the early '90s, so there was a there was there were a lot more opportunities, I think, to find stuff like that mm. than perhaps like '80s, '70s, because there's always more of that coming out as far um, at least progressively as we should be doing. Um, but I ju- that's just the way I remember it. I'm not even sure which like three I had before I had mm. all six. Mm. But they weren't a hundred percent in order. So I had to go to the library to like get the other ones to fill in the gaps, Mm. which I remember. You mentioned that you also read some Dear America. And were there any of those books that had a particular resonance for you? Or were those stories that you didn't connect with as much for any reason? Well, I didn't read all the Dear America ones. Like the one that stood out to me was the one honestly most similar to Addie. And I don't remember Oh God, now I don't remember what it was called, but it was the main character's name was Patsy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the other enslaved girl who became literate and um, um, began teaching the other enslaved people in private and secretly. And I just thought that was so cool. Like, I I don't, I think I was like nine or 10. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And like, what if, but as an adult and a historian now, I'm just like, that is so dangerous. It's amazing that worked. (laughs) I'm just like, at this weird to like be an adult rereading it and being just like scared for like the girls of these like girl protagonists in this situation. Yeah. Just being like, I'm happy in this, but I just like fear for your safety now. Just. (laughs) You could be caught at any moment. And I know the history and I know it's not going to be good if you're caught. What a connection to make, right? Like you're a young person who's reading and you're connecting to a person for whom literacy is important. Like, I don't, I don't think these books were popular among people who weren't like readers. Like they they were pitching to readers who were like, I don't want to use the word nerd, but like you want, (laughs) you want that ribbon bookmark. Like you cherish your books. You cherish these $9 objects. No, I think that's absolutely correct. Like I, the friends that I had, I can describe them as nerds because they'll <laughs> listen to this podcast and agree with me um, <laughs> and themselves to be so. I, they, they would describe themselves as nerds. They spent a lot of their childhoods reading like I did, like nearly everything. Um, I, I really think back about that. And I think that's why it was so interesting to turn back to Addie in this moment in which some of us are so very stressed uh, with the global pandemic. And um, it's an interesting thing to turn to as well in this moment. But yeah, I thought, yeah, all of my friends who I talked to about American Girl as a kid, and in terms of like when I was rereading it and asking people their thoughts, they all like read them as kids. And they were also all definitely nerds. I felt (laughs) real comfortable saying That's fair. We're nerds. So we get it. (laughs) This is a safe space. Um, (laughs) Do you remember reading these books and others like it, like Dear America and so on and thinking, and when did you start conceptualizing history as something that you not only liked to study and think with, but maybe was something that you wanted to do professionally? I don't think I knew what doing this professionally was until really like college. Like I knew I liked history, but 
as a kid when reading American Girl and Dear America, I don't even think I would have considered it history, even though that's what it was. Mm. I would have just said, I just like stories, mm-hmm. which is not inaccurate, but not in, in the same way. Like, I'd be like, I just like stories. I would read truly as a kid would have read anything, like easily distracted. I very often would have been told to clean my room. And then if my parents came up and found me just reading immediately after, very common, (laughs) would read everything and anything I could find. So I just would have described these books as just stories. It didn't occur to me that because they're historical fiction or or like nonfiction that made them a different kind of thing. I And I think I kept that thought process up really until high school when everyone's like, well, what are you going to do in college? And I was just mm-hmm. like, well, I read all the time and I do well in history class. I guess I'll major in history and English. Um, which I did not do. It would have it would have kept me in college for a lot longer than I was already going to. Be. Um, but that was my thought process. I'm just going to go and do history and English, and because I like stories, and I'll do something with that. I it really wasn't like conceptualized as what to do with that really to college. I think that's not unlike us. And I think I, I know people who grew up and like new historians. You know, we've met people through the profession no one in my world had that toolkit, right? Like no one talked to me about it. And I tell people stories now about remembering so vividly hearing a park ranger do a talk at the Lincoln Memorial. Nothing in my little brain said, this is a job that you could have. Nothing. And I think it's like, it's all about the pathways that are put in front of you. And it was so much later when I was like, oh, this is something that's achievable. When you said, I don't really know how I made that leap. I was like, I still don't know sometimes how I fell into public history. I often describe it as in like like an easy conversation with people who are not in the field. I often just quickly say, well, DC was right over there. And (laughs) I could just go to DMs for free whenever I wanted. I didn't go as often as I might go if I were there right now. But we, whenever people would come to town, you go to the you go to the museums. They're open, they're free, and it's easy. And then in my mind, this is the funny part. Like I leave the area. Like I went to school outside of Baltimore, which isn't that far. But and then I was in grad school in North Carolina. And then I'm just like, wait, I have to pay to go to museums? <laughs> they're not just free with like security measures. I can't just wander in on my own. That's so odd. Um, like I often just like for like shorthand, just make like no is because DC had museums that were free and that's what influenced me. I don't know if we went that often in school, mm. but whenever we did go to a history museum, I was excited. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if you ever noticed a juxtaposition between like growing up in DC, like you're saying is such a really interesting opportunity because there's so many free museums around you. And you had this, what sounds like an amazing mom who was consciously giving you books you know, with representation in mind, did you ever notice having been handed books with representative characters, then going to public spaces that weren't represent or like weren't paying attention to representation in the same way? That's an interesting question. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to remember like a lot of my early museum memories in which my parents were not there as a chaperone, or at least that I can remember specifically. Like I know for sure that we went in middle school 
the we had in the in eighth grade i want to say we had the opportunity to go on a field trip in eighth grade and we could either go to gettysburg or harper's ferry mm. and i yeah we had the choice and they were going to split up, up split us split us up on buses and i remember consciously i'm trying to like make that decision i'm just like i don't know what how good i mean it's going to be it's going to be like civil war history on either side but in my mind, I was like, I feel like Harper's Ferry will somehow be less intense hmm. with this. And that was a choice that I remember consciously making in middle school. Before that, I don't know if I definitely remember in terms of like going to museums and stuff. Like I remember going to the Smithsonian American History Museum. I remember seeing all the first lady dresses but I don't remember that specifically making a particular impression on me about like lack of representation or not. Mm. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that I was always relatively cynical as a child who was already reading a ton of history, honestly. Um, like I think, I think in, 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 like a, in just sort of switching the question somewhat, I think my parents, instead of like, instead of just like, noticing lack of representation in museums and historic sites. I think my, uh, in a lot of different senses, what I noticed looking back is my parents giving me different history at home. Mm. Like we had a lot of history books in my house. Neither of my parents are historians. Um, my dad majored in advertising. My mom was an English major. Both of them did public policy. Um, so there's history there. And so there's a lot in the house. And I think there was a lot for me to sort of pick up on as well as just like learning differences. Like if I came home, I'm, I'm certain this is a conversation that happened in which I came home and sort of talked about how we were learning about the revolutionary. Oh, no, actually, let me switch this entirely because <laughs> we went to Leansburg in fifth grade mm. and my parents came with me as chaperones and so did my little brother because they didn't want to leave him at um, somewhere. Um, so he came as well, and he got two trips to Williamsburg that I'm not bitter about at all. <laughs> um, Who's counting? Yeah. Not at all. He's fine. Um, <laughs> one of us and the other one did not. But one got two trips to Williamsburg. Still not bitter. Anyway, um, I went, went to Williamsburg, and I remember definitely, like, looking around. I don't even think this was, like, the thought process, but it was interesting to me that I was not seeing – black interpreters there, mm -hmm. um, at least to my memory. There may have been some, there probably were some. In my memory, I don't remember any. And in the history that I learned with our fifth grade class there, I don't remember a lot. Mm -hmm. But I also remember being relatively conscious of the fact that while we're all talking about pilgrims and like uh, revolutionary war and stuff, they're still enslaving people. So like, how much does this matter in a lot of senses? Mm. Um, it was it was like a thought that I still kind of had. And like, if, if we'd gone like when I was in high school, that would have been something I would have just said, just to see what would happen. But in fifth grade, it was just like a thought process of just like, this is only kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like quickly, like, where are you with Felicity? Like, don't care or like, no, cause like, cause you're in Aries. I don't, I don't mean to like out you, wow. but like, no, I, who I am. Okay. I know who I am. Yep. Um, I know who I am. I am an Aries. Um, uh, where am I with Felicity? Sorry. What does um, being I, an Aries mean? Can somebody just like fill me in on that? 
Addie's an Aries. Okay. Addie is an Aries. Um, it's the horoscope. It is, it's like late March, early April birthdays. Yeah. I want to say. But what's like the personality brother, type that we should expect from you? Very passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, is what, is what I see a lot. If you look at any of the memes, it seems like we're constantly angry. And I would disagree <laughs> with such a thing. Listen. However, living 2020, there are lots of things to be angry about. True. That were happening. To- Statement on the times. Um, no, it's just a common thing. Um, but passion seems to be like a huge thing, as well as like being defensive of people that you care about and then others, eh, like it's probably probably be better. They should probably be able to take care of themselves. I don't even know if I'm describing it. I'm Listen, this right. all sounds great. I don't know if it's real. Like, I don't know if this is true or not of Aries, but it sounds great. And I'm backing you 100%. As a person who's a Leo, like I only really know Leo traits which is also in itself probably a Leo trait. So we're all doing what we can with what we have. And I respect you. I, I appreciate the respect. I re- appreciate the backing up. Um, <laughs> as the area representative on the podcast at the moment, we're doing great. Like um, we're all still kind of upset that we had to spend our birthdays inside, but there's only so much we can do about that. Um, but <laughs> the original <laughs> question was, where do I stand on Felicity? Which, um, having caught up on at least the Addy episodes, I know somewhat where all of you stand on Felicity. Um, I don't have particularly strong feelings about Felicity. I remember thinking she was, uh, speaking for myself only, I remember thinking she was kind of boring. Um, <laughs> when I read her, I was just like, she's got this horse thing and my horse girlfriends are really into her and yep. that is them. that is i'm glad for their for this representation for horse girls further on. <laughs> i think that's really wise i was actually thinking about felicity yesterday because you know this might date the podcast but britney spears just accidentally burned her own gym down <laughs> and you know just made that announcement casually on instagram but where she has sort of dipped into democratic socialism in a way that makes me think we could frame the burning down of the gym as like destroying the means of production. Allison's losing it. What the thing is, we can't say that of Felicity. She too would have burned her own gym down, but it would not have been done for any kind of virtuous end in, in a way that I'm convinced Britney Spears was motivated by. That's all I'm going to say. Your your description of like, like a sad Aries birthday season. Like it is unfathomable if we're st- no, like if we're still doing this during Leo season, we will have, uh, we will have a French revolution. Like we will have like a storming of the capital. Like we will. I would love to say that that's wrong, but <laughs> I know myself and it's, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go great guys. Honestly, if this, no one knows how long this is going to last. If this lasts, if I have a second Aries birthday in quarantine, no. God forbid. No, not absolutely on, not. I will be very upset. I'm truly still upset. I turned 30. Oh. I want to do Oh, something. wow. Um, not right. Can you like no, reclaim that- once this, once we get a reprieve, can you reclaim a birth date for I'm, yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm totally going to do that. Like, I'm just going to be like, this is my birthday party now. That's I right. don't care that it's October. It's a Halloween <laughs> birthday party. And this is what we're doing. That's You're all just going to have to come and celebrate. Yep. And that's fine. You know what? All birthday invites, all successful birthday invites come from a place of guilt. So I feel like you've already tapped into a really successful tactic. 
I, I do have a really successful tactic. Now if someone says, oh, why are you having a whole birthday week? And I'm like, because I spent like so many weeks in quarantine. <laughs> That's right. So this, this is my deal. That's when you take things up a notch and you jump on um, Venmo and you start billing people for what Mariah Carey would call an inconvenience fee. And it's like, you've inconvenienced me Ooh. by asking me an irrelevant question. You owe me $5. Thanks. <laughs> Allison's- I love the idea. Thank you. I- don't think any of my friends will actually pay me. It's really about the gesture and just setting a boundary. <laughs> then then it might work. We'll set a boundary. I might never hear from some of them again. <laughs> like maybe that's like earning that needs to happen. That's right. Maybe we emerge from this with full nibs intact. It's true. We like it. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So like you choosing a birthday is very reminiscent of Addie, right? Like getting to claim her own day. From your perspective now as a public historian, how do you read or reread books like Happy Birthday Addie? Like, how is that different for you now? Reading it as a public, I I just, I like the idea, I think reading it now as a public historian and in this moment in particular, I read it and I'm just like, of course this nine-year-old would like to have a perfect day for her birthday. I don't know if perfect days exist in a lot of senses in the United States history. Like, I think there are very rare, I fully am like in the in the, the thought process, especially like just ending civil war in Philadelphia in the United States. That is a concept that is going to be incredibly rare. That said, she found mm. one. Like, I'm I'm relieved and like just excited that what that a day worked out for that. Um, it's an interesting thing of picking a birthday, like, and it's a common enough thing that I think we know historically happened. Like people would just do that because they didn't know. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. There's a lot of agency for the Black characters in this book that you don't often see, I think, at some historic sites and historic houses. Um, you're often just like, oh, they're family, they were treated this way. Um, so there's a lot of agency for the characters being able to choose things and then go about doing them, as well as just like the language, I think was what I was most impressed at as a public historian. Like slavery was something was done to them, mm-hmm. which we know, but is also said very clearly in the book. Like, there's, like, very clear of just, like, slavery didn't, slavery is something that white people made happen. Like, it's, there. there's, she's, Connie doesn't mince any words <laughs> no. in this, and I love it. <laughs> like, as clear as she could possibly be. 
now it like I really really love looking at that back now just like the language of like the um of just the whenever they say slave it's clearly an insult at any point um from from the white people from master stevenson mr stevenson is what i choose to call him Mm -hmm. stevenson um and like uh when harriet uses it as well it's very clear that slave is an insult and then they go by their names immediately after they as soon as they can they're uh like in the field now we would definitely say enslaved person Addie is the Addie the enslaved person if we were talking about her on that plantation farm in North Carolina but after that she's just Addie and that's also just very true yeah so I think looking back on it as a public historian the agency that the characters have as well as like the language that Connie uses to like make to that clearly not even hint that the, 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 the language that Connie uses is very clearly intersectional in terms of the things that she's talking about in terms of the nuances that history is and the different um, perspectives that are involved in all of this. It's just real impressive. If somehow your college level paper got into the hands of Ms. Porter, what do you think would happen? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would probably sweat quite a lot. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, just be amazed that something that I wrote ended up in her hands would be mind blowing to me. Um, I think the other thing, like when I was like just sort of catching up on rereading these and looking at that paper again, that paper I wrote in 2013 right before I, like the semester before my last semester of undergrad. And I was clearly trying to put everything I wanted to talk about into this paper, (laughs) every single thing I wanted to talk about. Oh boy. Like this takes, there was a lot in there and it's not that long because it's an undergraduate paper, but there was a lot of information in there that wasn't necessarily, I'll say related to the thesis I was trying to argue. The thesis that I was trying to argue at the time was that this book, and I I agree with this to this day, is definitely a step in, this is a book, a series of books that's written that's very much like new social history, um, historical fiction. Like, it doesn't mince any words, it deals with the realities of the situations, it deals with a lot of different perspectives. I would just put this in like the canon of that, in the new social history camp for sure. Um, but I was also in this paper also trying to talk about dolls because it's uh, the American girls had dolls. And I wanted to talk about the history of black dolls in the United States, which is its own huge, huge, expensive, large thing and very divisive and definitely at times racist. And there's like, oh, that's its own separate issue that I didn't need to like also put in this book. Like if I had just stuck to like, if if I were going to rewrite it, and I'm not, um, <laughs> because it was the best it was the best paper I could have written in that class at that time about Addie. If I were going to rewrite it, I I would definitely take a lot of that dull stuff out because in rereading it, there's a lot of interesting stuff about other ways that Black Americans were trying were doing historical fiction and history through literature for kids. That's really interesting. Hmm. Like there was like. Uh, let me see if I can find this quote. Um, 
W.E.B. Du Bois was involved with the creation of the Brownie series in the early 1920s um, with Jesse Fawcett, where they sought to uh, achieve seven goals um, that I quoted. Uh, make colored children realize that being colored is a normal, beautiful thing, to inform them of the achievements of their race, to teach them a code of honor, to entertain them, to provide with them a model for interacting with whites, and to instill, to instill a pride in home and family, and to inspire them toward racial uplift and sacrifices. Like, I was really trying at the time, and perhaps by putting too much into this paper, perhaps, not 100%. Uh, I was trying to really just sort of place the Addie books in a canon of uh, Black writers who wanted to write for children about history as like an education and entertaining tool. Um, and it fits perfectly well at the time it's written as a very good example. Because I wrote about some other book in here that I read a lot as a kid that I don't remember the name of and I'm not going to look up right now. That was also pretty good, but it didn't it, it didn't have like sort of it, it, ha it was it was that I also read a lot as a kid, but I don't remember nearly as well as the Addie books. There's still this this is still very formative. So if this paper ever hand, <laughs> emerges in the hands of Connie, I um truly yeah i think sweating is the first thing i'm going to be immediately doing um and then i don't know if i could get her to like sign my books that would be like very cool to have um yeah, i think just like general awe perhaps and like probably a lot of like talking very fast about the influence really like i think i would ramble on for quite a while you're raising such an important point that I don't know that we've addressed kind of this way head on, which is that children's books generally and things about children, like having had an interest in the history of childhood, often doesn't merit the same kind of scholarly inquiry or care. And the more that we've talked about what Connie Porter accomplishes with these books, like when you were describing this as being part of a canon with Du Bois, and I would think like Toni Morrison as a person who draws out these very rich and complex characters. When you think yeah. of, you know, because like you do the work of historical interpretation, if you know a topic pretty well, you can explain it to adults. You have to know it so well to explain it to a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, it, and it's part of the reason I think if you talk to any historic interpreter or someone who interprets history who really loves their job, they will immediately tell you that kids ask the best questions, always, because they're thinking about it such a different way than adults have mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of these senses. It's, it's always so funny to me, um, the way that kids think about these things as, in a lot of ways. Like, um, uh, I'm trying, I can't think of a good example right now, but kids really just sort of, they, a lot of this stuff is new. A lot of the ideas uh, that, uh, that you're, they're learning at a historic site about anything is new somewhat to them. And so the way they're understanding it is very different than the way that adults have because they've been taught a version of this somewhat somewhere before or, or th and think that they understand it. Some of them think that they understand it. A lot of, they're all open to like learning as well. I don't want to paint with a broad brush about all the visitors that I've had, because that would be wrong. Mm. But um, just 
like the way that kids sort of like think about these things is really interesting. And I think similarly, like the way that kids can attach themselves to things like this. Like I clearly attached myself to Addie at a young age, unbeknownst to even myself. But like we did, uh, we had a little girl come into the historic site at some point while I was there. And some of my coworkers had mentioned how they were excited that she had me super into Hamilton. Like it was her favorite, favorite thing. Like the, the musical that is Hamilton. And honestly, I, I think if I, if I were like 10 when Hamilton came out, that probably would have been on my radar for sure. But it was just an interesting trying to sort of figure out the differences. Cause like, not even the differences, but like the ways to explain what I wanted her to understand at this site and the similarities in a lot of these things. Like the question that stood out to me, like she, she was familiar with Hamilton and we talk about, oh God, um, Lafayette, because he briefly spends time at the Owens Thomas house. He spends like two nights there when he's visiting Savannah. Um, and so we bring, we, we talk about that a little bit and we definitely talk about the fact that Lafayette is definitely an abolitionist. Hmm. And I don't think anyone had told this little eight to nine year old little girl that before, because she definitely asked me, how was he friends with George Washington and Thomas Jefferson? Mm. And I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember a hundred percent what I said. Um, but I, w- I, I wish I could have gone into more depth. Cause like the other thing is I was like on a tour. So I was like trying to get ready to leave them upstairs. And I'm like, you asked a heavy question before I lead you upstairs. <laughs> like if we were in the basement, I would have taken much more time to try to like deal with this. Hmm. Um, but it just, just had ne- the, the nuances of a lot of these things and the fact that people can be so valuable is, uh, sometimes it's so interesting to watch kids react to. Hmm. I mean, based on her question, do you think that kids today now are kind of benefiting from pop culture that offers better representations than when we were kids? I think we're roughly around the same generation. Or do you think the needle hasn't moved that much? I think I think it depends on the day. Um, Cause like, and it also depends on the kid. Like I would, I'd hesitate ever to say the broad brush as I've said before. Mm. But I think there's a lot more representation that can often that can push the needle more if people are asking the right question because hmm. like there's uh cause there's a lot there, there's more than just Addie when I read Addie as a kid Addie was the only black American girl it was just Addie um and I think uh, people were gonna uh, so I think that searching for representation like that there was never any on like television that was specifically like kid oriented um did you ever watch liberty kids oh yeah yeah i don't remember a lot of that show i don't remember how well it did representation i know there was that episode where they um eliminate slavery in pennsylvania i want to say because i watched that episode somewhat recently Mm. but i don't know how well they do about representation wholesale um, I, but I really would struggle to think of another way that like television, definitely not musicals at the time, like 1776 existed, but I didn't know about it as a kid, mm. um, which is to my detriment somewhat. <laughs> um, but I 
I did. Like, I, I think Liberty Kids is the only thing that would immediately stuff up unless reading Rainbow did some history stuff, and they probably did. Hmm. Seems like right up his alley. Um, I think the needle has moved some, but I think it also depends on, like, access to that representation because we, we, we could fund libraries a lot more. We could fund we could fund these kinds of books a lot more and we can put them in places where kids who may not have had access to them have more access to them. Um, so I think it, it depends on a lot. I think somewhat the needle has moved, but it really depends on the day and how cynical I feel in that moment. And speaking of the day, we had asked you, you know, a little bit, thinking about social distancing and reading or rereading Addie for, you know, any amount of time. The story of her family is really one of separation and reunion and the costs of that reunion and the challenges that come with that. And in your most very recent rereading, are there ways in which her story maybe felt different to you or there were elements that maybe popped out at you because, you know, we didn't remember a lot of the plot points, but going back and looking, um, you know, Addie self-liberates in book one. And then as her short descriptor says, like, she is a girl who struggles to be free. And the story is really of a struggle of a family also. Mm. So kind of in this time of social distancing where people are not able to access their families or, you know, you also think about when we were reading Josefina, we couldn't stop thinking about hers as a borderland story and what's happening at the border and that crisis. I think in some ways, like there's a whole other lens now with which to read this. I think that's true. And there were definitely bits that stuck out to me because I read this, I want to say, after I had been uh, in away from work for at least three weeks, maybe a month. So it had really started to sink into me when I reread these, with how that this might be going on longer than I thought it would. And I didn't know how long it was going to go on to begin with. Um, so I think in reading it, in my moment of social distancing, I live by myself. I have been trying to reach out to friends and family on a very regular basis in terms of just like connecting to other people. And that Mm -hmm. was a lens that I may have applied when I was like reading Addie again. Cause like Addie is very much like trying to figure out Philadelphia, trying to figure out school and church and getting her family back together And I feel like I see in her a similar connection to I need to make, I need to have friends. I need to have, this is the only time that she's really been able to have friends. And the connections that she builds in Philadelphia and the connections that of her family even coming back together have to be so strong Mm. um, throughout the whole series. Like, it's very, I feel very conscious of the fact that, like, even when Sam is not there, there will be a mention of Sam at some point in that book with her doing a riddle. It's, it's her older brother. That connection is there. She can't not talk about it because she's missing him and she doesn't know where he is. And I, it, it's very, it's very reminiscent to, like, I don't know what a lot of my friends and family are doing right now in this moment. Um, or like even coworkers at this moment, but it's such like the need to connect to other people. I think it's why her immediate friendship with Sarah is so strong. In addition to Sarah just being like a perfect human being, um, <laughs> like she just like immediately connects 
to the first girl that she sees truly mm. of just like, we're going to be friends. And I'm just like, I relate to this thought process of just like, we're going to be friends. And this is a friendship. She's the only real friend that Addie has. And it's, I think it's why I, I am very conscious of like, try. So I only have like the first six. I don't have any of the little, little books that they released about Addie after that. Um, so I did, and I read maybe one of them as a kid. So I don't, so my knowledge and, uh, and uh, my knowledge of Harriet is, re- is restricted to these books. So it's not a great view of Harriet. Um, it's not, it's really not. And I am very conscious of just trying to think during this moment, she's an eight year old little girl who <laughs> clearly there, there's something else here. I don't know what it is. Like I was really trying to like, <laughs> scour those pages to be like, what, what, is there something else I'm missing about Harriet? Like kids can be cool. Yes. But like, she's in like, Addie's in the garden and she comes out and says, look at this little slave girl. Just like, yep. that's, that's, that's real rude. Like, and like, and, and like actively offensive. Like, what are you doing? And why are you here? Um, so I, but I was leading with this question in addition to just my feelings about Harriet um, away from that. It's just like, I think that's why Addie attempting to forgive Harriet in the Addie Saves the Day one gets a different lens to me now because Addie is truly just looking for connection. Mm-hmm. Like just being able to connect to other people. Like in um, her, she has her parents together she doesn't know. It's never confirmed that Aunt Lula is her grandmother. I just assumed that that was the case. Um, but like it, Aunt Lula and um, the other guy, Uncle Solomon, Solomon. Uh, Solomon, Solomon. They're both not there yet. Esther's not there yet. Sam's not there yet because it's like just before that. That's when Sam comes up toward the end. Um, but her dad had come back like the book before that. Not even her birthday. So like. I truly just see like her trying to forgive Harriet as just like her trying to make connections in a city that is so incredibly unfamiliar to her in which her only friend is Sarah. It doesn't sound like she connected to anybody else in her class. Like they're all kind of there. And sometimes she talks to the people who are the um, other kids at the church and stuff, but her only friend is really Sarah. Um, Now that could be just because these books are real tiny and it's just only so much like, people you can put in there especially with those character pages toward the beginning they really limit who you can how many people you can put in there true but sarah is her only friend so i think forgiving harriet i try to tend to put it in that lens of just like so in, in thinking about social distancing without it um connecting to other people is something that i have been actively doing in this moment and then i feel like I'm watching Addie do throughout these books because she's also in a very new situation that doesn't make a lot of sense and everything in a very nine-year-old way is not fair and (laughs) she's right it's not fair Mm -hmm. there's active not fair things happening um but she's also very nine years old to say this is not fair um and I think like actively trying to reach out to people during this moment makes a lot of sense but then the other thing that made sense to me I, I don't remember which book this was in I, I want to say it was in Addie's not even her birthday maybe Addie learns a lesson um her mother says something about they're going to be together someday mm. and that 
that phrase hits real differently after you've been social distancing for five weeks, mm-hmm. like it, it, with, with anyone, like in terms of just like family who may be out of state, friends who are in the city who you haven't seen in forever. I went to the grocery store two weeks ago in the farmer's market. And in that, I saw three people I haven't seen in like five weeks. And we were all so excited to see each other. Mm. We're all normally relatively excited to see each other. But <laughs> in like a moment of global pandemic, it's like heightened so much. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I also think something too, which kind of resonates is that, you know, I working with students and whatever, you know, realizing that not everyone, like the the networks that are available to us to connect during social distancing are things like an internet connection, phone, yeah. what have you. And Addie, of course, is, is able to help her family connect to these larger networks to find um, Aunt Lula and Uncle Solomon and Esther because she's literate. She can write letters to the Quaker Aid Society and other places that are trying to connect with the Freedmen's Camps. And, you know, there's a lot of folks now that seems like hiding in plain sight who don't have internet. So to imagine yeah. that, you know, even social distancing as an experience um, is different for so many people because we have different levels of access to the few ways of connecting we have left. So I had a question. Um, we've amassed a sort of archive around each of these dolls, you know, with supplemental books and everything. And so you're you're a clean slate. You haven't read any of those if you were to write a story or to be commissioned to do a children's book to put Addie in any reasonable time period, what would be a 40 to 50 page story that you would want to position Addie in as a leading character if you were able to? You can go forward, you can go backwards. I mean, my immediate thought, and this also has something to do with the fact that I was in an African-American women's studies uh, course when I was rereading this the second time. And Ida B. Wells made a huge impression on me as a kid and in that class again. It's hard not to write Addie as an Ida B. Wells mm-hmm. kind of person. Like in maybe in maybe less, maybe, well, maybe more. Like in just in terms of like, I can fully see Addie um, becoming a teacher, but also seeing that more needs to be done and perhaps starting a newspaper. That seems fully incapable of something of her just being like something's not fair let me tell more people that something's not fair like that seems and then if if you write her as a journalist then you can send her to like anything that's unfair and have her deal with it which would be fascinating like sending Addie to like um to to the um, further south during the new deal and having her Mm -hmm. write about how only so um, only some people can get these new deal things mm-hmm. not everyone can get it um sending her to the west when there are land grants happening uh, and that and saying and just sort of disrupt having her sort of actively fight things are not there i think she could fit in nearly any time period for that particular way i think i would definitely restrict her to the united states in that sense like any time united states history of just like Addie going somewhere, saying something's not fair, writing about it and having her get involved in like protests beyond that mm-hmm. would be super exciting. Wow. I feel like Sarah would come. She'd be supportive. Oh, Sarah would be there. Yeah, for sure. Sarah would come. Um, if, uh, if I'm really going to make peace with Harriet, we can have her. <laughs> wow. I, I think that's how she 
I think they are smart to not redeem Harriet, but to make you empathize with Harriet, which are two different things. I think what was funny is when we were rereading Felicity, she also becomes friends with the first girl that we meet in this book, but she lives, <laughs> but she lives in Williamsburg where there's a ton of other children. And it occurred to us, no one wants to be friends with Felicity. Right. <laughs> Addie strikes a match like right off from the jump and they do really well together because they have chemistry and they're good friends. Felicity, like there was a whole community that had rejected her before her friend Elizabeth arrives. But Felicity people are going to come for this. And yeah, they are. these are facts. It's wow. almost your season. Taurus people, I'm sorry. I don't, it is your season, but wow. neither here nor there. Wow. Deep. Deep and dark. And I, I cannot, I truly cannot disagree with that. Like, yeah, but I it's do. It's true. I'm not going to disagree with that. Because, like, I don't, or there's so much of Felicity that I do not remember. Like, it, it's it's so forgettable. Maybe that's because Addie was just like, <laughs> what an amazing counterpart, though. Like, because those are the ones, I, those were not the ones that I had. I read all of Felicity. I read all of Addie and I read all of Molly. I remember reading Samantha and Kristen, but Kristen didn't make much of an impression on me. Samantha made somewhat of an impression on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was cynical enough by Samantha. I want to say, um, Samantha, there's some suffragettes that show up at some point. Is mm-hmm. that right? That's correct. Yeah. I I remember being cynical enough during the suffragettes portion to be like, yeah, but they're only talking about white women. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> as a as a child (laughs) like okay samantha yeah this is yeah women should have the right vote but not just like these women um uh but like i i I think i think i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna move myself away from the felicity fangirls and just claim that like addy would just made such a good impression on me and i just could not turn away there you go listen we're with you i mean those books (laughs) the books are so much I don't, I mean, now I'm going to have Valerie trip back on my trail, but I mean, the writing of the Addy books is so strong, you know, like the characterizations, yeah. the complexity of the plots and, and kind of like just the emotional depth that comes through and even like brief phrasings that I think that that comparison yeah. is okay. Yeah. I think the emotional depth was something that hit me, I think hits me every time I reread this and don't quite 100% remember it. Because like, if you had asked me before I reread it, what I remembered about these books, I would have said, I remember the worm scene, because literally everyone I've talked to who remember the Addy books remembers that worm scene. I remember when um, Sam came back, and I remember, and, and that was, those were the emotional punching scenes that I remembered the most. Rereading it, um, I think the things that stick out to me are Addie gets whipped, like not long after, like right before that worm scene. And I had forgotten about that entirely. Like, that's a thing that actively happens. And I don't know, uh, I don't know how I reacted to that as a kid, aside from the fact that I kept reading these books. Um, the other thing that immediately emotionally punching is just like Addie actively not understanding that Sarah is not going back to school. Like that friendship Mm. loyalty is so strong and I fully feel it. (laughs) Like 
just so upset that Sarah, they were, when she was like, we were just talking about being teachers yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, Addie, that was yesterday. Yeah. Like things change in days. And also Sarah needs new boots. I, 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 I really, it, it's a maturity thing of just like being like, you know what? Sarah's mom is right. She needs to be able to go. She needs new boots. That's correct. Sarah is cold and Philadelphia is cold. Um, that is unfair of Addie to try to demand this. Um, but the right move, the turning of just like, well, I'm going to teach you now. That is just what I'm going to do. It's a very Aries move of just like, I'm going to take control of this situation that I, nine years old, should not have control over, but I've just decided that I'm going to teach my friend, even though she can't go to school right now, and maybe she'll be able to go to school later. I respect the decision, truly, but like, Addie trying to like, even understand that, of like Sarah not going to school was an emotional punch for sure. I think the subtlety of that part of what makes that plot line so brilliant is you have these two people who are very smart, very capable, and they are probably going to end up in very different places in life. Not necessarily because of any capacities that they have, but because of circumstance. And when you're tracking their different trajectories, you know, Sarah is ahead on a kind of adjustment timeline. She's been in Philadelphia longer and yet her family has not been able to get that same kind of ground. Like part of it has been these circumstances way out of their control. Like Papa happens to get a higher payer carpentry job. Sarah's mother happens to not get this other opportunity. And I think what it does is it makes you look at, say as an example, like 19th century records of a laundress of someone else who wouldn't have left a lot of print material as compared to a teacher and say, these people just as easily could have had very different outcomes. And I think in the nineties, like we were taught so much of like, it's your effort that determines where you land in life. Mm -hmm. And there's an amazing subtlety to that plot line of, of showing you that it's not. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And then just like the, the way she leaves breadcrumbs up until that moment, like the entire time Addie and Sarah are friends, there's this knowledge that Sarah knows Philadelphia better than Addie because she's been there longer, but Sarah doesn't spell as good as Addie because she has to work so much. And in addition to just like the past, like looking at 19th century records, you can look at literally any education records for kids in that same sense. Just like, well, maybe someone had to work. Maybe this kid mm-hmm. had something else going on in the background, which is why I'm constantly searching for a redemption for Harriet, and I'll find it. At some point, <laughs> point that hasn't emerged. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a, the subtlety of just like Sarah, like not being able to spell stuff, and Addie actively just trying to like tutor her in the beginning. It's it, I, it's a natural conclusion for Addie to draw, just like, well, I'm going to teach you that. I also think it's a very Aries thing to be like, nope, I'm going to teach you now. I, <laughs> I nine years old, am going to teach you. Also nine years old. <laughs> True. Um, I'm wondering if you could teach us right now. I mean, we're we're thinking about putting together a mini syllabus for the last Addie book because the peek into the past there is somewhat limited in what it could offer, both because of the time in which the book was published the kind of like 
approaches of that moment that kind of guided that process, but also like so much has happened since. Is there something you can think of either like a book or like a really great study that's been helpful to you or even like a primary source of some kind that's meaningful to you that you think would be a good addition? Because we're also going to ask our listeners to send us things that they think would be a good match as well. Oh, gosh. Um, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of really good works out there. Um, the immediate thought that I have that is very readable because um, a, lot, a lot of my mother's friends read that, um, which is no shade to my mother and her friends. Um, the warmth of other sons mm. about like the great, the, the great migration from the South to the North, I think can explain a lot about just sort of movements post civil war, but also like the things that would keep that would keep people from being able to leave as well as keep um, things that would inspire people to leave and the situations around all of that. I think those are good additions. Next to me right now, I have Chained in Silence. Hmm. It's really good. Uh, it's a very good book. Um, and I think it can, it talks a lot. It, it connects some branches that I don't think if the, if the, what, things that would not have been covered in like Addie's end of the past thing would definitely be things like convict leasing and debt peonage. Sharecropping comes up, mm-hmm. but like the fact that there's a full system of white supremacy that's actively keeping black people from having power um, and the role that prison would definitely play in that is not something that would have come up in these books in the 90s at all. And it would be real risky for Pleasant Company to do that now. But if they're interested, I can be hired. <laughs> Love that. Love that flex. <laughs> I think they should hire you to make an American girl who lives now, who wants, her name will be Ava, and she wants to be a documentary filmmaker. And she's Ooh. she's both very interested in dismantling the carceral state and the exonerated <laughs> family mm. from New York. But she's also really weirdly into Madeline the Angle dolls. And stories. You know what? This fits real well. This sounds actually incredibly familiar. Um, I'm concerned <laughs> about copyright, but I'm not saying I wouldn't take this job. Okay. Like, okay. I, I think if we frame it the right way, it, I think if we frame it the right way, it's very flattering to anyone whose name might also be Ava. I don't know. Wow. I mean, we want this to work out. I would also not like to be sued. So, <laughs> you know, like, we'll, we'll figure this out. This is, yeah, yeah. This sounds like an off-recording conversation <laughs> that could turn out lucrative for all of us. Yep, into it. Get Rich Slow Scheme 2020. Now, speaking of, Excited. Lacey, if people have other, you know, potential ideas for, like, Lacey-inspired spinoffs of a social justice Avenger Addie, are there places where you would like people to find you or to write to you on social media? Oh, they should definitely send those to my Twitter page, which is lovely and um, full, of, full of some nonsense, but also very serious things at the same time. Um, that would be Lacey Wilson, L-A-C-E-Y, Wilson spelled the regular way, the number four. Um, if you come across a Twitter that says Lacey beloved by millennials, three Gen Xers and one Gen Zer, then that one's me. Wow. That's a really specific fan base. And <laughs> it is. I respect it. 
I have to say your Twitter, your Twitter brings me such much needed information. Like somebody responded to something I think you retweeted. I don't know if you said this, but someone responded and said, I didn't really learn about the flu epidemic of 1918 until twilight. And yeah, that blew my mind. Honestly, I, 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 that blew my mind as well, (laughs) but, but also seems very 2020 that twilight suddenly comes back into like, not only popular consciousness, but like political consciousness yeah what a weird year yeah really really and truly i mean i thought we were done with that and then here we go again yeah well i'm I'm excited several decades from now when someone writes a um vampire book in which someone dies from the coronavirus in 2020 mm-hmm. i'm excited to see that that's going to be hilarious that's going to be, I mean, again, like, why are you giving away all the great content ideas on air when you should kind of hold those back for our, you know, off-air conversation? I have claimed the unnamed Ava doll. If someone wants to write a very twilighty but 2020 version, I'm excited to read it. Same. Honestly, Agreed. same. Wow. I do not want the head to trying to figure that out. Same. Honestly, same. Like I would love another great role for Kristen Stewart, perhaps like in an openly queer character this time, um, as opposed to last time in Twilight. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What else is she doing? She could be writing this now. That's true. Wow. <laughs> I ask myself similar questions all day. So. <laughs> <sighs> Well, this has been a pure delight. Thank you so much for making time for us in a stressful and scary time to sit down and, and talk about perhaps the greatest college paper ever written and and the Addy series. I appreciate being asked. I appreciate the fact that we all re- that we remember this email that was sent two years <laughs> ago. Um, and uh appreciate being on and thank you dr scott at umbc for letting me write about addy in like 2013 i love thank it. you dr scott <laughs> okay thanks so much for listening everyone we that was such a great conversation you know do i feel a little bit bad that i brought up an inconvenience fee and Brittany burning down her gym and an otherwise important conversation i mean it wouldn't be our show if I didn't do that. Right, Allison? Maybe? No, I loved it. I loved it. I think Lacey, again, wrote the most important college paper ever written yep. about Addie. 100%. We feel really confident about that. It's gotten a lot of miles. It's gotten a lot of miles. We haven't read it. We don't need to. <laughs> we don't need to. You know, do I feel bad that I didn't ask her to also consider investing in Elizabeth Katie sweatpants? Perhaps. Perhaps. But, you know, it's. I have her email address. I feel like I'm ready to use it. We're friends now, question mark. We also, like, you know, we set up this show with a rivalry in the same way that there were many rivalries within suffrage. However, we do want to end on a high note of friendship and collaboration, which is we asked Lacey how she would like to contribute to a kind of Addy syllabus. And we have so much respect for what the books cover, so much respect for the research and the collaboration that went into it. We hope that you'll join us next time and hopefully that you'll also want to contribute to our Addy syllabus, which you can do by sending us an email, AmericanGirlsPod at Gmail. You can also visit our website for American Girls Podcast. We love when you leave us voicemails. Our last five voicemails have been robocalls from China. So I what? would love oh to God. log into something different. Yeah, please. And 
really were looking for anything. If there was a book that resonated with you while we were talking about Addie or something that you've come across, it can be a poem. It can be a sticker a song, that you think belongs. Anything. Absolutely. A meme. Um, you know, great TikTok videos. I guess what? I know what TikTok's all about now, Allison. I'm into it. <laughs> anyway, like, and, and you don't have to leave us a voice memo explaining your object. If you work in a museum and you think an object in your collection would be a really great addition or a syllabus, please call us and tell us about it. But if you're shy, which I completely understand, you don't have to leave us a voice memo. You can email us, as Allison said. But, you know, we might be reading your email if you're open to it or playing the voice memo on the show. We're really excited about this. You know how you know someone is over 30? They say, yeah, yeah I know about yeah, TikTok. I, I That's know how it. you know. <laughs> Listen, my life is dark now, Allison. Basically, Anna, the other morning came in and I was like refusing to get up and go to work, which is in the next room now. But uh, I literally was just watching TikTok videos and I just couldn't stop. It was like, what am I it's like I stumbled into another dimension. I don't understand it. I'm trying to learn. I don't know. That's all I got. You know who I invoke weekly who also refused to get out of bed without assistance? Queen Victoria. Of course. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, a model for us all, really. There is a, I, I don't have time to get into this. There is a, there is a thread on TikTok of people who claim to have stumbled on a time capsule of some kind. <laughs> And they're like, oh, weird. I was just going to replace this doorknob and I found like this box, like this treasure box. Like, should I open it? Like, smash that like button in the next video. I'll reveal the contents. And it's like, sorry, what? We're supposed to believe you were filming and you just happened to stumble on this time capsule? I love that. <sighs> Maybe I'll start making those. I don't know. Who, what's my life anymore, Allison? Who can say? But if you can say, like, how should someone reach out to you? You know, if you want to talk to me about Britney Spears and her political arson act, Mariah Carey's inconvenience fees, which I guess I'm taking on now on Venmo, please contact me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. Allison, where can people get in touch with you to talk about, you know, cool hip things? Because apparently you don't say things like, I know what TikTok is. Oh, no, I said that last week. Um, So I can be found at Allison Horrocks at Instagram. On the on Insta, that's what cool people say. Also on Twitter, and you can find the show at American Girls Podcast on Instagram, and we're at a girls pod on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Very excited! All right, well, thanks everyone. We will see you on the next episode. Go, 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 go.